Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Zero Player Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick, also known as Suffer Madness, and I'm joined by my co-host, Justin, a.k.a. Bojang. The name for this podcast comes from an eclectic game idea that blended new tech and video games. The zero-player game genre is essentially a subgenre of the simulation category that completely relies on AI technology instead of just mostly relying on the AIs. So since this, te- since this podcast is going to be a mix between tech and video games, we're going to go ahead and start with uh, our top five favorite new tech. And Justin, you can go ahead and, uh, go ahead and start with yours. We're going to have five. Um, none of the- They're not going to be ranked in any order. These are just like five things we jotted down that we wanted to talk about. All right, so uh, just a quick list. First would be uh, robotics, particularly Boston Dynamics uh, development. Next would be self-driving cars, then virtual reality, kind of third-party uh, SpaceX and Virgin Galactic uh, space endeavors. And then last for me would be renewable energy, particularly uh, nuclear for the future. That's a good list. I'm excited to talk about those. Mine is going to start with hoverboards. Uh, mine is going to be way more surface-based than, than Justin's is. His is <laughs> much deeper uh, in the tech than mine. But uh, yeah, hoverboards is going to be my first one. My second and third ones are going to be are going to match his, self-driving cars, and then uh, virtual reality. Uh, the fourth one is the Bose Soundware system, which I just recently saw somewhere, and I, I just thought it was so cool. I wanted to kind of share it and kind of um, talk about that a little bit. And then my last one is going to be fitness trackers, just all manner of them, uh, watch, uh, watches, shoes, and different ones. I've seen people with rings. I saw somebody with a headband once. Um, and I, so yeah, that's going to be our top five. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, and let's kind of talk about the robotics and why you specifically chose Boston dynamics robotics program. So robotics have evolved over the last, like, uh, 30 or 40 years at a pretty steady pace. Generally, when people think of robotics, they think of the assembly line factory robotics that have been programmed to do one task repetitively very well. It hasn't been that impressive of a tech in the sense that you don't see, like most of these technologies these days, you don't see leaps and bounds where you're like, people are like, wow, like, nope. You, know, you see robotics in, in science fiction and movies. And you think, oh, we're never actually going to have that technology. It's just something you see in science fiction. Well, Boston Dynamics has come along and said, no, let's make science fiction a reality. We have the microprocessor technology now to, to have the smart enough computer that can think fast enough and be mobile. Uh, and the, just the, the combined localized power units, the new materials that are stronger and lighter, those all combine to create an environment where, yes, we can have robots that are walking around and manipulating objects and whatnot. Do you have any like examples, like any products that uh, you may have saw just recently that they're working on to, to do like a specific task? Yeah, so I, I was kind of looking for a segue to go into it, but uh, there's... They have kind of um, named robots. This is why I love Boston Dynamics. They they made themselves famous through their YouTube channel. And I encourage anybody listening to the podcast to go check out their YouTube channel. You can see firsthand. They do really funny videos. They do kind of cool stuff with their robots that aren't just like, here's our robot lifting an object. And it's just one video. No, they, they do like a whole thing. There's Spot and Atlas and the Spot Mini. Spot is 
kind of an evolution of what some people might have seen years ago called like the mule. Basically, it's a four-legged robot that can run. And I'm, when I say run, I mean like gallop. Like it, it can go fast and it can jump over objects. I mean, this thing is, uh, they've developed essentially, they took the locomotion of animals and they said, let's use this as a basis for the robotic movement. So this, this robot's job would be carrying things. Um, maybe on the job site, it's just supposed to carry some heavy materials to and from a location. Uh, the military has obvious uses for this guy to carry ammo and supplies on hikes and treks. And it can travel to any environment because it uses like legs instead of uh, treads or wheels. Next up is the Atlas, which is the uh, bipedal system that is the, the basically they're just trying to recreate the locomotion of a human, have uh, arms and legs. Uh, it looks a little awkward because in order to create a bipedal uh, system, it's got a really heavy torso and like kind of got like a it has like a backpack. You know, I can't imagine Atlas being able to carry things very well because of the sheer amount of force you need to carry an object with its hands. But Alice is really just to say, hey, look, we can create bipedal robots. You could see, I could see like a protocol robot. Like we've seen, you know, like C-3PO in Star Wars. There's no reason why we can't have like a C-3PO in the next like 20 years who just right. walks around in a, uh, like a square in a city, you know, advertising or like helping people. Maybe like the police could have a, a protocol droid that just sort of, uh, helps watch an area and assist people. And last, the the Spot Mini kind of capitalizes on the uh, four-legged locomotion of Spot. Just the Spot Mini is so much lighter. He's not designed to carry payloads, um, but he would just navigate internal spaces like hallways, doors, stairs. He has a uh, actuator arm that's kind of like a little claw. It's like a camera, a mouth, a hand and an arm all built in a one where he can open doorways, fetch objects. The spot mini is what you'll see in an office environment doing things. All of these robots can manipulate objects for the most part, move, encounter terrain, move over obstacles. They've, they're doing things that people never thought possible and they are scary good. And it's, they're just prototypes. And that's what people need to understand is that 10 to 20 years from now, I can see these things in the cities, in offices, on streets, climbing up mountains. You know, it's crazy. And so Boston Dynamics gets the spotlight for setting the forefront of these robots. That's awesome. I wanted to I wanted to kind of bring up a point about the uh, the Atlas, the two legged, uh, the bipedal robot. Like it's so hard. Uh, I learned this quite a bit or well, at least I guess I kind of just researched it. It'll be so hard for the robotics like that to be able to move like a human without the balance, uh, without the balancing features that humans have, such as ears, toes, fingers, and stuff like that. It'll be so hard to create those, the little phalanges, all the little bones and stuff that move our toes and keep us balanced. It'll be so hard to create in a robot to work successfully. And I think that's, you know, I think that's why it looks so awkward now when you see videos of them just trying to like walk over a little hill or step over like a can is because the balance is just hard to, I don't know, keep accurate while the robots are trying to walk over this stuff. Okay. So the next one, 
uh, we we both put this down as our number two uh, self driving cars. Uh, and now, just recently, ever since ever since they kind of came out as uh, as people can purchase them publicly, um, the controversy is now is that this tech is not safe. This tech does not work properly. Does not need to be in cars. It's not tested well. You know, whatever the argument is, there's tons of them out there. I agree to an extent that if the tech isn't perfect, it shouldn't be in the public's hands. But also, I mean, for it to work on a mass scale like that, you kind of got to test it with the mass scale. So I I love seeing it. I think the tech is so cool. I can't wait to be driving on a highway and not have to touch the wheel, not have to worry about somebody cutting me off. I don't have to get mad about it anymore. My car is just going to take all that for me. And I'm, I'm, ex- I'm super, super excited to see that, see it improve. So I wanted to speak on uh, what you mentioned about the controversy. That's certainly something that's gotten me heated so many times uh, in conversations with other people. Um, You know, I've spoke to people all throughout the spectrum. The people that are on board with the self-driving cars, there's people that are cautiously optimistic. And I've had conversations with people that are straight up just luddite in opposition of the uh, the idea. So what I want to say about the tech being perfect, there's been plenty of technologies that impact the public space that were not perfect and could straight up kill people, but are still there. Take, um, you know, it's hard to come up with like the perfect example that I would use to compare with self-driving cars right off the bat. But my point being that I, yes, I would not test a self-driving car in the public space without being extremely confident. But what I would tell people is that look at just the raw facts, the actual data behind self-driving cars, which is the mortality rate. You know, we could we could look at more uh, at self-driving cars and the actual amount of deaths that would result from self-driving cars. Like I know that that's it's not a great PR move. You can't go to the people and say, oh, well, only one in 1,000 will die from using a self-driving car. Like, that's not exactly something you can push as a positive. But I, I just, I take like a scientific outlook to it. Like, I look at the mortality rate of cars right now. When you step into a car, what is your chance of dying? And the mortality rate from drunk drivers the amount of people that die from alcohol-related driving activities per year, we're talking about like tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of deaths or injuries. Because maybe someone didn't die, but I guarantee you they were maimed in such a way that their life was permanently changed. Like losing hands or having your face get torn off from some terrible injury. And those are all related from stepping into a vehicle and putting your hands on the wheel. So even if there is not a 0% mortality rate with self-driving cars, the mortality rate is going to be so much lower. And there's going to be, maybe, maybe a self-driving car couldn't avoid getting into an accident, but I guarantee you it could get into an accident and reduce or eliminate the chance of injury or death. And that's what people need to focus on is that, yes, self-driving cars, uh, when that probably not be perfect and there will be deaths, that result from a self-driving car error, but the rate of death and injury will be so much less than what we have today. It's a no-brainer. There should, there is no argument against self-driving cars when it comes to mortality rate and injuries. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I definitely think you hit it. Hit it on the nose with that. You're 
just the junk driving point itself just kind of like kind of proves what you know what the self-driving technology could really really be if given the proper time and testing okay so our number three is also we also uh, uh had the same one for our number three is a uh, virtual reality uh, i'm gonna keep mine pretty short and sweet i just think it's so cool I've been playing video games for so long and it's always been a dream to kind of be able to be transported into whatever world we're in, whether it's a movie adaptation like Star Wars or if it's like a brand new world like Skyrim or, you know, the various other ones. It's it's so neat and I can't wait for them to keep going with this and uh, keep bolstering the technology to provide something that is just otherworldly, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. That's just, it's going to be so cool to be able to get transported and see all these worlds. And you can already do it with the titles that are already out, just the the smaller titles. And as they make bigger ones, the possibilities are endless with that. Yeah, I'm uh, definitely inclined to agree. In contrast to uh, self-driving cars, virtual reality is definitely not something that's going to like improve lives necessarily, uh, unless you're talking about the training surgeons i guess uh that's kind of one aspect of vr but vr is definitely what makes it cool is that it's always been something on people's minds since the 80s you know we've there's been shoddy attempts at it like the uh right that nintendo product uh the mr not mr i'm thinking of game and watch uh but there was like that attempt from nintendo where you had a headset and it kind of did like essentially Game Boy graphics, but in like a a completely surrounding your vision field. So there's clearly it's been something that people have wanted for a long time, but the technology was never there. And now we're at a point where, yeah, we've got the lensing technology where we can create the headset and we've got the graphics technology where we can run games at 120 FPS, which is what you need. You know, 60 FPS is not enough for VR. It's going to leave you sick. And it's still kind of a gimmick. Uh, I'll admit that for most people, I don't think that there is enough in VR to justify getting the whole setup. Spending the $700 on an HTC Vive with two controllers to be able to play two games. Yeah. Um, not just that, but the real estate. You know, you, you can, I don't think you could do it in an apartment unless you dedicate your living space like your living room to vr you pretty much have to have like a house and dedicate like a room to it um with no furniture in there um yeah logistically it's it's definitely hard to find the room for it you know i had the i had the ps the ps vr and i enjoyed it but it was it was a hassle every time you put that headset on you kind of had to mess with the camera make sure you push the couch back so you had enough room so you're far away or far enough away and and make sure everything was reading properly, move closer, you know, however, however it was be angle your head. So the camera can actually see your headset. That being said, I don't want people to think I'm a hater on VR and I don't want to dissuade anybody from getting it. I wanted to make it clear that VR is in an infantile stage and I'm still really excited about it. I wanted to mention something that is the, the latest in VR development is the new Eight uh, controllers by HTC for the Vive. Definitely, the Vive is the uh, superior VR product, in my opinion. It's, it's the it's kind of the one that's pushing the limits. The other VR solutions are kind of like, hey, we're not really trying to push the technology. We're just trying to make uh, a fun VR experience that the average person can actually engage in, which is important because we need like 
the whole general public to kind of start getting on board VR in order for that like avenue to succeed. But in any case, the um, this new technology that I'm excited about is HTC's new controllers, which I've, I don't know what they're called necessarily, but you slide them on and they have a grip to where they don't fall off your hand. Uh, so you can essentially like let go of it and it stays in your hand. And they have grips to where they measure uh, finger uh, strength, I guess, like on the controller, like the, the tension to where now phalange, phalanges, is that right? Um, are, yeah, phalanges, phalanges, however. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it. Not a medical expert here. Um, <laughs> they are now, that data can now be used in games. So now you've got fingers in VR, which is kind of one of those small things. It's kind of like, oh, well, okay, so you can flick somebody off in VR. Like, cool. Like, what does that, what does that mean? <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it adds a whole, it, but you're right, though. It does add a whole nother element to the entire experience. Like, at first it was, we could move our head around. And then it was, we had uh, extremities to be able to, we clicked a button, it would flex our hand, you know, but we wouldn't be able to do that. But now we can do all kinds of stuff. We could point, we could, like you said, flip people off, we could do all kinds of stuff. And, you know, the video game, the video game application of that is is, is endless. So I recommend anybody who's uh, listening and they want to see really quickly, how does this translate to gaming? Look up Boneworks. It's on Steam, or you can just look it up on YouTube. But Boneworks is from the same developers who are have been kind of pushing the... They're, I would say these are one of the best developers for VR. Uh, they, they developed Hover Junkers, which was kind of like one of the first like killer apps for VR. It's just like, here's, here's how you do a VR game that's just fun, and it can actually compete with like the kind of experience you've been getting from games you've been playing that are non-VR. Um, and they have another game called Duck Season, which I haven't looked into that much. But uh, Boneworks is really just like a demo. It's kind of, they put you into like a playground where you can mess around with a lot of things. But it just shows off the potential. I mean, we're talking throwing objects, manipulating objects. Definitely, the way I would describe it uh, is if you were using VR with the old standard controllers, you would notice how there's sort of a disconnect between you and your persona in game. And now with this, these new controllers, this new development, it's way more immersive and intuitive. You can just start playing and kind of immediately begin interacting with objects. And instead of having to learn these controls. Right. That's, that's so cool. I can't, I'm so excited for this to keep going. It's going to be such a, it's going to completely revolutionize gaming as a whole once this becomes more mainstream and once people start to kind of treat it like a uh, uh, like an appropriate platform. And right now it doesn't get that credit. Um, for my for my number four, I have the Bose Soundware system, and so I'm going to tie this into I'm going to tie this into a, a high school story that I have, or um, well, more just like a high school experience. Um, so the Bose Soundware system is basically two speakers that you put around your neck. And they, the speakers are kind of um, orientated on your shoulders and you play them. So when you play them from your shoulders, you're just like, oh, it's just a speaker. You don't, you can't really, you can't hear it like you would in headphones or whatever. But that's completely incorrect. I put these things on uh, at a Best Buy and turned them on. And I was like, I was completely blown away by the music quality and about how clear it was. I was just like, I was thinking it was going to be muddled by the, by the, by the sounds around me. 
uh, and by people talking to me, but it really just sounded like I had headphones on the entire time. Granted, it doesn't have that complete declusion um, aspect that over ear noise canceling headphones do. But that's, I think that's the beauty of it. I mean, people who walk up to you can enjoy your music too. And in certain situations that doesn't really work, but that just the, just the soundware system itself um, just kind of shows that all these tech companies are just getting so much more, uh, I guess how would you call it, inspired to do more things. They're seeing all these different technological advances and stuff. Uh, in high school, I took a, uh, was it a uh, tech theater class? And so we learned about uh, the stage and about how like the lights reflect off certain things, about how the sound reflects off certain things. And when we were in the, when we were in the sound, uh, the sound section of the class, uh, we did a whole unit on microphones and about how certain microphones they uh, accept. They only like register sounds from like a certain area. They won't register any sounds behind them, but everything in front of them they'll take or only the sounds behind them and nothing in front, which is kind of like how the technology of this, of the soundware system works. Like your ears can do a similar thing and it only like kind of hears what's like right there next to it, which is like, obviously when things get close to your ear, it gets louder. Soundware system has it just perfectly to where it's sitting on your shoulders, but you can hear it. Like it's like, it's your, like it's almost in your own head. Like it's in your headphones and it's so neat. It's so cool. And it's not super intrusive to the people around you. It is a little bit because of course they're just speakers playing into the void. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's just, it's so cool. It's such a cool speaker system, and uh, and I want one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it right now, and um, it's definitely just uh, yet another example of Bose kind of, I would say, you know, pioneering. Yeah, when you're when you're not really trying to create the some entry level product, or when when your endpoint isn't, oh, well, this has to be affordable, like, or this has to be under a hundred dollars it really limits like the kind of innovative products that you can create and bose is not limited by that they're like okay yeah this has got a 300 dollars price tag but yeah people are still going to buy it so let's just create the product that we want to create definitely what was your uh, what was your number four uh let's see so for me uh my number four was spacex and virgin galactic which i would put as a category of like non- I was trying to think of it earlier. I guess capitalistic uh, space flight, like non-private private space endeavors. Private, yes. Thank you. Private as opposed to like NASA and whatnot. For SpaceX, their big project, their next big project that they're working on and they've been slowly building up towards is their BFR, which I'm. it's kind of changed names over the years. It was originally MCT for Mars Colonial Transport and whatnot. And I think Elon's been saying something about uh, interplanetary transport systems, something like that. But BFR is kind of the fan name because it's big freaking rocket. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yep, I was definitely thinking that was going to have a more scientific uh, definition for the, uh, the acronym, but that's amazing. Big <laughs> rocket. <laughs> uh, just to give people an example of how big this project is that they're planning like the the estimated project costs of building the BFR is 5 billion um Oof. and then as far as the size it will be the single largest uh rocket that humans have built of all time um the the only thing that comes close is the Saturn 5 which 
I love, you know, that's, that's the, for the uninitiated, that's the, the rocket that took us to the moon. And to give you a size comparison, the BFR is taller than the Saturn V, but not by much. It's hard to beat the Saturn V. At least I, if I believe, I, I'm sure there's some rocket specialist out there who's like, no, you idiot. Like it wasn't that tall, but uh, <laughs> the, just going off of the Wikipedia article, the payload for the, the Saturn V for the model that went to the moon um, it was 45 tons. Um, that's not how much the rocket weighs. That's like how much uh, weight it's um, trying to transport into space. So that would include like the weight of the the lunar module and the, the, the kind of main cabin and all that jazz. So it's, the payload is essentially how you can measure like how, how big is this rocket really? Like how, is, how effective is it? The BFR's payload is going to be 100 tons, and if they modify it to like remove certain elements, uh, like some other section that would use be used for carrying stuff, it could carry 150 tons. So we're talking something that's going to triple the Saturn V's payload. This thing will be. I mean, this this is not just for going to the moon. The SpaceX is building towards something that's going to travel to any spot of our solar system and go beyond it. And then to touch on Virgin Galactic's project, they're kind of going for uh, a smaller scale project. Not They're not trying to build rockets that are going to take you to other planets. They're trying to sort of give us the next step in commercial air travel. So they have uh, a huge plane that's... Uh, it looks like two planes with a wing kind of just attached. If you took like two planes and just glued them together, uh, wing to wing, that would be what's called the uh, White Knight 2. And that carries the VSS Unity, which is their rocket aircraft up. So they kind of take advantage of the fact that you're using a lot of fuel and payload just to get to the upper atmosphere in a rocket. Uh, so the plane carries the rocket up to a very high altitude, pretty much, you know, probably the highest altitude that uh, air breathing engines can take you. And then the rocket detaches, kind of falls for a second, the engines engage, the rocket propels you up uh, to kind of take you over that threshold from air atmosphere to space vacuum. And then at that point, you are officially in space, you're in orbit in the rocket. And they just completed like as of like February 22nd, I believe the um successful test flight of the, the whole system they took their first non like non-astronaut person up there she was a uh, astronaut trainer so they kind of hit a lot of firsts you know it's like first first non-astronaut like woman to be to go in a space flight like all these like really great milestones and virgin galactic i like their story just because they've they've had some pitfalls their vss unity prototype I think it was um, a year or two ago, there was a catastrophic failure where it pretty much exploded and killed like all the crew on board, like, you know, really terrible stuff where you're like, that's it, that the project's dead, like no one's going to want to invest in this anymore, but they're still going and they're still innovating. And I, I love SpaceX. I also want Virgin, Virgin Galactic to succeed because that's how you're going to get hopefully eventually single stage to orbit aircraft, something that can like take off from a runway go into space, go into a suborbital path. So you can go from, let's say, California to Germany in like 
a few hours. I mean, we're talking like dramatic increases on uh, speed across the planet. And it'll ultimately be, I think it depends on the fuel that they use, but it'll ultimately be better for the environment. Because right now to, to make a, a trip across the planet in a normal jet airliner, you're we're talking about like hundreds of thousands of gallons of fuel just to, for these planes because of the they're just trying to chug through the atmosphere. It's always going to be more f- effective for fuel costs to shoot up to space, float in a suborbital trajectory where you're just you've got no atmosphere at all and you're just kind of coasting on your momentum and then you re-enter the atmosphere and glide down where you're not you're not really using any fuel at all except for to control your burn and land. I mean, that's the future. Right. I see that. And I think that's, it's one of the coolest things, one of the coolest tech things that we could say, period. I mean, I think space travel wins any tech contest ever. If anybody ever brings it up, that's pretty much it. Heck yeah. Okay. On, on, to, the, on to the next one. Okay. So my, my last one is uh, fitness trackers. And I know this is really, that just kind of says more of like a gadget thing. I've had three like gadgets on here. But fitness trackers are just so neat, and I think that they're going to really improve a lot of people's lives, people who may need that to lose weight that they want to lose or lose weight because they have to lose it, however it may be. These fitness trackers, they're so cool. My wife uses a watch that she has no apps on. All it is is a fitness tracker, but it tracks her heart rate, her steps, her sleep at night. It's got alarms on it that you can uh, program uh, and set and it'll vibrate on your wrist and wake you up uh, whenever you need to wake up. So she doesn't have any like audio alarms anymore. It's just the ones on our watch. And like I said, in the intro, there's so many different types of them now. And we saw it like these, these weren't necessarily engineered for it, but uh, we saw the potential with the original Google lens glasses where the exercise or the fitness aspect to those could have been really, really cool. Had those not fallen so far from the product that we heard about I've seen headbands. Uh, I've seen rings. Uh, there are even, uh, as we saw, like Nike's, uh, the Air Maxes, the Nike Plus, whatever their uh, tracking system is. They have them in all these shoes now, which is only great. And the professional sports application of that will just make everything so much more entertaining and so much more fun to watch uh, in the long run. The fitness trackers, it's just amazing the technology that goes into those and being able to do that. I can't even take my own heartbeat. I don't know how. I don't know how a watch does it, and then turns it into turns it into different uh, analysis and analytics that you can see your stats for the for the entire month to be able to learn. Oh, hey, this is the day that I ran a mile. Oh, my heart rate was really high, and then the next time I run, my heart rate's lower. I think that's amazing. But that's a that's more of a gadget than it is tech. But uh, it's neat. I like it. <laughs> no, it's definitely. We've definitely seen a kind of little mini revolution with the wearable fitness trackers. I think, especially with what's what's the brand? Um, I'm trying to think of you know the one that uh, that you Fitbit. Are you talking about yeah, the Fitbit. main watch? Yeah, yeah. It's like Fitbit. Kind of that's now a thing. Like you can go to any Best Buy and get a Fitbit. Like it's yeah. Not, that's the one that my that's the one that my wife has, and she absolutely loves it. Yeah. Um. So I know for me from what I know about like fitness and everything that I've experienced. Cause I, you know, running cross country in high school, we used to measure our heart rate, the old school, putting your fingers on your neck and then like counting it and having to t- like do math and all this crazy shit. It really pays if you're trying, if you're serious about exercise, it really pays to having something that can tell you your heart rate. If you're trying to lose weight or if you're just trying to improve endurance 
and you get on the treadmill, none of the numbers matter except for your heart rate. Uh, It doesn't matter if you ran 10 miles. It doesn't matter if you spent two hours on the treadmill. It doesn't matter if you started sweating. It doesn't matter if you're out of breath. All that matters is what did your heart rate get to and how long did you maintain it? So, right. yeah. So it's like, if you're, if you're trying to lose weight, uh, you, you, nobody can tell you, oh, well run for, uh, 30 minutes, uh, at this setting on the treadmill and that'll be good. Like, no, it, it, it comes down to, okay, I don't know what setting will take. I don't know how fast to go. But what I know is I need to get my heart rate to 130 BPM or more, or, you know, not obviously not two more. You don't want to be in the 160 range, but around 130 to 140 BPM and maintain that for 45 minutes to an hour. And that's how, that's like the fat burning range. It doesn't matter if that's, you could be walking and have your heart rate be at 135. So that's what people don't understand is like none of the other metrics or ways of looking at exercise matter except for your heart rate. And fitness trackers help you get that accurate data. And that to me right there is just like, it's a huge revolution for exercise science. Uh, and it it's cool. It's cool tech. The tech itself is neat inside all of these different wearables and stuff like that. Uh, but also the application of it is is neat. And I think it's I think it's important, especially for the world right now. Uh, the kind of the social aspect of it that's kind of changing. I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so what's your what's your fifth? Uh, let's keep it quick because I want to get into a uh, into a game for the next section. Okay, so uh, this last one I'll kind of keep it short. I think renewable energy. You know, it's it's one of those technologies that, again, slow and steady, nothing crazy that comes out that wows people. Everybody at this point knows about wind and solar and hydroelectricity. Those aren't necessarily new. I just think that it's just going to get more and more relevant, especially in a state like Texas, where we have abundant access to wind and solar. Uh, we're just eventually going to have to move away from oil, period, and coal power plants, Uh the whole planet's going to have to change. China, for one, uses coal power plants everywhere. And so they're producing like a huge amount of greenhouse gases. And so it's we kind of have to address that uh, as a planetary issue. Uh, I just feel like the one aspect we're not taking advantage of is nuclear. And it's, it's going to take like, I think, like a whole generation to pass where people aren't scared of nuclear anymore. Because uh, right. like the only risk with nuclear are plant malfunctions which only come from negligence either equipment wearing down over time and we're just not like spending the time to kind of refurbish it or like shut down the plant repair everything clean everything out like that has to happen or in the case of chernobyl and that massive disaster that was literally somebody doing a test of the operation and there's like a there was a specific thing like do not remove the coils from the coolant and do this test and this like manager operator was like yes let's test that exact thing let's do this exact thing that we should never do i'm going to test it like this and so of course you had a meltdown and it was <laughs> awful and that just set the tone for yep that's what happens when you use nuclear energy you get chernobyl it's ridiculous. Like right. if, if you, again, like the self-driving cars, you just look at the number of deaths and mortality. If you looked at the number of deaths or, you know, people affected by coal and oil for power, we're talking, you know, 
several thousand people dead or affected in some way negatively from those sources. And then look at nuclear and the difference is drastic. Nuclear doesn't pump greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. It doesn't pollute the soil, doesn't pollute the water. All you're really doing is taking advantage of the properties of quantum physics to create steam and using the steam to drive fans or pistons essentially to get energy. I mean, essentially it's free energy. Uh, We only have to use resources like uh, hydrogen and helium and other things that aren't exactly infinite like wind and solar. But if we had wind, solar, hydroelectric, and nuclear, we would be set as a society and we could completely get, get rid of coal and oil. That would be that would be ideal, I think, especially in the environmental aspect of it. Okay, so I think our I think our tech list uh, tech uh, lists were good. Uh, I enjoyed the things that were on there. I think we explained all that for people who didn't know any anything about those topics. I think that was cool. Uh, we're going to be right back in just a minute. We're going to start a a game. We're going to play on this first episode. Hey guys, check out our game streams on Twitch. We are still getting everything set up, but my stream is active. Uh, check me out every night except for Wednesday and Thursday uh, at uh, Suffer Madness on Twitch. I play all kinds of stuff solo and with other people in the Zero Player group. Also, look up Zero Player group on YouTube and subscribe. The podcast is going to go up there as well as other gaming videos. Uh, I'm going to get a Division 2 gameplay up there this week. For any questions or comments, email us at zeroplayersgroup at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Uh, We're going to play a little game right here. Uh, We have our top, uh, we have our three favorite video game genres that we're going to play play a little game with basically what we're going to do is we're going to just kind of give like a one uh two sentence uh tagline to these on why we like them i'll go first uh the first one i have on here is the uh mmorpg the reason why i like it is uh i like binge playing and uh binge playing an mmorpg is the way to do it uh, for me mmorpgs are also favorite genre and they're great for when you'd like a second job that you just don't get paid for. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> um, okay, my second one is the zero player games, which we'll talk we'll talk about that in a later episode and kind of what that is for those of you who don't know. Zero player games slash simu- simulation. The reason why I like it is because I like doing the initial work, but then after that, I'm lazy but I still want to get the fruits of what I've done, even though I don't deserve them. For me, uh, next would be single-player RPGs. I really like the role-playing aspect, getting into a game and kind of disappearing into a world and becoming uh, another character. For my, uh, for my third one, uh, my third one is sports on here. It's hard to come up with a tagline on here, so I'll just kind of say... Uh, I like it because I grew up with sports and I really, really enjoy them. The last genre for me will be strategy, including like RTS games like StarCraft and 5X games like Civilization. These games uh, kind of tickle a certain spot in your brain, which is the how do I maximize the efficiency of this system, whether it's you know getting the most wood out of your builders or reducing the amount of time you can rush the enemy and take out their base. Nice. That was, uh, <laughs> that was funny. I had, a, I had enjoy, uh, fun doing that. Um, okay, guys. Well, that's going to wrap up our first episode of the Zero Player Podcast. Uh, like I said in the intermission, check us out on YouTube. Uh, check out uh, uh, my Twitch stream, uh, Suffer Madness. 
if uh, if I can get Justin to start streaming again, uh, he's going to be Jang underscore TV. So check him out too and subscribe to him. Even if he doesn't stream, I think I think that'll boost his ego. He might like that. Um, we're <laughs> I appreciate gonna, it. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have some uh, other people. Uh, we're gonna try to do some guests on some of these future podcasts and stuff. Um, and they'll also be part of the zero player group. We'll link them as they, uh, as they trickle in and we do this, uh, anyway, thanks guys. Thanks for listening guys. And we're going to be back soon with another episode.